The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So welcome again, everyone. Everybody have a place to sit. So one of the first things to keep in mind as we begin this work, and we can even take a little time now to check in about the guided meditation instructions and any experiences you'd like to share, questions about the meditation. But, uh, you know, as most of you know, many of you know, there are many ways to bring to mind and keep in mind this theme, this attitude of loving kindness. But it's useful, it's, it's useful to understand that attitude is always in play. You know, like you might have a bad attitude, And in the bubble of having a bad attitude, part of being caught or identified with a bad attitude, being irritable or something like that, is thinking that I'm irritable. We personalize the bad attitude, which really limits this, you could call it a dharma move, right, or a spiritual move, which is wisdom understanding, oh, there's irritability. I care about that because it's unpleasant. Irritability, being irritable, is unpleasant, and I care about it. I care enough about that unpleasantness of irritability to be close to it, to not be confused by it, to care about it. <clears throat> so part of what we're practicing in these seven weeks is that whatever attitude is there in the mind, a little depressed, a little manic, anxious, a little you know, lustful, a little sleepy, whatever it might be, it's always possible for that attitude to be the ground or to be the cause, the supporting cause for love, for compassion. Because the very essence of that move, that spiritual move of love or compassion is remembering that the heart is capable of including the experience, of not needing to be at war with it or needing to be in denial or needing to neurotically fix it. But we can care about it. Like, and it happens at any scale. It can happen within our own heart, with our own psychological patterns, but it can happen in the world. Right? I could be irritated or upset or frightened by what's going on in the world, and in just a moment, it doesn't take more than an instant for the mind to realize that this is difficult. Being afraid of what's going on in the world is a difficult experience, and it's probably difficult for a lot of beings and I care about them. So it's like every, you know, as we navigate the day and we're constantly, you know, having different interactions and different experiences, but it can be very beautiful and even fun to, to be interested, well, what does love or what does compassion feel like, look like now? And how about now? And how about now? And how about now? 
in the same way that hopefully you did during the guided meditation because you know you get on you get a few seconds strung together where you're feeling some real love and then something else shows up then your knee starts to hurt and you can drop the attitude of love or you can use the attitude of love to include that okay so that's happening or something beautiful like the feeling of love itself is beautiful. So then you use that beautiful feeling of love and you appreciate it. So it's basically every experience that shows up, we use as fuel, as a support for the continuation of the attitude of love. Because love in this way, this is one of the characteristics of love. It's very nimble. It can use a beautiful experience, a painful experience, an ambiguous experience, any experience whatsoever, physical, emotional, internal, external, can be something the heart can include. This attitude of love can include. Oh, honey, it's like this now. This is what's being felt or this is what's being experienced. And this is especially important as you read the first chapter. And uh, I won't be, we won't be scanning all the chapters, but we thought it was okay enough to scan the first chapter for everybody so you can get started. And thanks again to Laura who did that for us. So you can read that first chapter at least, even if you're not interested in purchasing the book, which is, of course, okay. And... Uh, you know, one of the points that Venerable Analio, this German monk makes, this great practitioner and really one of the top scholars in the field of Buddhist studies, academic scholars, um, one of the points he makes is that, you know, like with compassion, where the heart is sometimes unavoidably, right, the heart is exposed to suffering, our own suffering, the, some, the suffering that somebody else is experiencing. And we, in order to have compassion, we need to let that in. We have to allow the heart to be touched, to be exposed to the suffering that we're sensitive to in us, around us. But the meditation isn't on that suffering the meditation, the object of meditation, compassion, is the beautiful wish. May I be at ease. May you be at ease with these conditions. May wisdom and love protect you. May you find a way to be at ease with these challenging conditions. This is why it really helps to have a some kind of sense, intuitive sense, direct insight experience about, in, the, in Buddhism we call it the unconditioned, unconditioned happiness. Happiness that isn't about circumstances. Because if you think the only happiness there is is the happiness that's based on circumstances and you're with, like today I was talking to a longtime community member um, who's in her last days or weeks, they've stopped treatment for her cancer. And uh, I could barely hear her. I'm going to see her on Thursday. Uh, she's, ju- she's just leaving Mayo Clinic now. Um, but it was really hard to hear 
uh, her words, you know, through the speakerphone in her hospital room when I was on my phone. But, you know, just this, this ability the heart has to, you know, because it's a difficult, you know what's going on with the person, but you can't even have a conversation. So it's really ambiguous. Like, I don't even know, but I didn't want to ask her to repeat what she was saying. And just to realize that the heart can hold that all, you know, like all the, all the stuff, like wanting to be able to help, like that neurotic pattern wanting to know whether I should ask you to repeat or whether I could just pretend. Like all these sort of things, just navigating that space. And we can easily get freaked out or get controlling or whatever, get frustrated. Or we can realize the heart that can hold all that. Like, yeah, I can relax with that. And it's such a beautiful thing not what's going on with the person or even what's going on with me trying to navigate the situation. But what's beautiful is the heart that trusts, including it all, and including it, and and the demonstration of including it all is this willingness to be undefended or to be relaxed or to be soft, to be forgiving, to be patient to let the thing play out as it's going to play out, to, if humiliation arises, to be okay with that. You know, it's like, I don't even know, she, this person could have been saying, like, could you offer some words of wisdom? And I was just saying some sort of generic response, like, it'll be really good to see you on Thursday. <laughs> right? Because I, I couldn't hear. But this is how we navigate a confusing world. I mean, in some moments, it's more confusing than other moments. But it's not unusual as we navigate our intimate relationships with our pets (laughs) and our partners and friends and, you know, all of those sometimes weird, challenging relationships that we have. And how do we respond to what's going on in the world? Do we put aside sort of our normal way of operating and become march on the streets? Or do we say it's time for the younger generation to do it? I mean, we have all these sort of confusing places to navigate in our world. How much money, how much affluence is okay? How much should we give away? How much time should we devote to this or to that? Is it really okay to splurge on this or that? Am I bad? It's really hard being a human being, even a very privileged human being. It's really hard, I find. So it's not easy to be living our lives if we don't make an art and science of navigating our lives and with love. I mentioned recently in one of the talks, I forget where, maybe... Anyway, recently, about these, you know, base, two basic moves in spiritual life. You can, you know, talk about it in Buddhism. We sometimes talk about it as the two wings of the bird of compassion and wisdom. Ultimately, they're not really different in terms of the effect, 
right? So the ultimate effect is the dropping away of grasping, the dropping away of clinging and attachment. But the the operation, the way it works is slightly different, right? With wisdom, we're deconstructing. We're breaking things down until we see things in terms of dharma, the way it is, not mediated by language, by our concepts, by our ideas of things. And we see the impermanent, the changing, the ephemeral nature. We see the unsatisfactory nature that experience, even really nice experience, can't quench desire. It can temporarily cause desire to go away, craving to go away. But desire continues even when we quench it and we, we gratify it. right? Because we've gratified lots of desires, but we still desire, we still crave. So life, all experiences, they're not fundamentally, ultimately satisfying. And it's impersonal nature, the causes and conditions come and go. There's no center here or there to how things unfold. They unfold things, causes and conditions unfold lawfully, but no center. So wisdom is a way of deconstructing experience, and it's a skillful means that supports the dropping away of attachment. The more we see the impermanent, unsatisfactory, impersonal nature, the less sense attachment makes to the mind. So attachment falls away, grasping falls away, and the mind realizes non-grasping. But the other way you could call the way of love or compassion is sort of saying yes over and over again. There's a great poem about this way. This is by Prisha Gertler. Finding, finally on my way to yes. Finally on my way to yes, I bump into all the places where I said no to my life. All the untended wounds, the red and purple scars, those hieroglyphs of pain carved into my skin, my bones, those coded messages that send me down the wrong street again and again, where I find them, the old wounds, the old misdirections, and I lift them one by one close to my heart, and I say, holy, holy. Isn't that beautiful? So this other way, the way of love, is this way of including and belonging and letting life in, letting life move through us, being undefended, Right? And you see that to do that, and the Buddha says exactly this, actually, I mean, it's a somewhat of a rough paraphrase. Um, and I'll, maybe I'll find it before I end tonight, uh, the exact passage. But Because it's more than one place where he basically says that somebody who's cultivated this attitude of love, of compassion, metta, to a strong degree that that mind can't fall into strong, powerful states of hate. It's like the more the mind knows that 
powerfully inclusive state, the quality, the attitude rather, that just knows how to say yes, knows how to say holy, holy, everything is holy, holy, everything belongs. Then when some old habit of hate, which is just the opposite kind of psychological move of excluding, no, that's not okay, right? It's, it's just those two attitudes can't coexist in the mind. They're just at such a different frequency, they just don't belong. It's like we have this experience sometimes with our friends where we've had a good sit, let's say, and our mind is in that more expansive yes, 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 or holy, holy, holy state. Not in a kind of somebody trying to impress the friend or anything like that, just in a very natural open, inclusive, boundless, generous state. Maybe you touched a little of that tonight in the set. And then you, you just enter back into the normal world, not even like a particular, particularly hateful space, but just like people with normal people attitudes or you listen to the news. And, and you realize how much hate, how much negativity, how much exclusivity is just part of the normal vibe in the world. And, and we realize in those moments when there's that contrast, like how, just to use a strong word, how insane it is to live in that world, to sort of participate in the world of division, hate, where we feel justified in throwing people out of our heart. And it really challenges us. Like, for example, some people, you know, uh, there's probably at least one politician you're having a, a difficult time with. And, you know, I don't expect that everybody in this room either supported or didn't support our current president. But everybody is irritated by some politician. So whoever that is for you, and however strongly justified we feel in having negative feelings toward any human being, that's like you can't have both. If you, if you really want to work this path, at least during these seven weeks, you have to look at <laughs> these places, these people where you feel pretty confident, or I'd say arrogantly, speaking for myself, confident that it's okay, it's appropriate to have a negative attitude to throw this person out of my heart as opposed to having compassion and understanding. It doesn't change what we do to affect positive change in the world. It just means that we understand it isn't easy being a human being. Everybody has their strategy for navigating this experience as a human being. And some of those strategies that people take cause a lot of harm for themselves and for others. <clears throat> and some people, more saintly people, their strategy of dealing with the wildness of being a human being is quite be a thing of beauty. 
and it's so great just to be around these people. Wynne and I saw an interview today where Stephen, no, it was uh, uh, John Oliver was interviewing the Dalai Lama. Maybe some of you saw it. <laughs> it's <was> very cute. <laughs> you know, and uh, just to experience people who, you know, have a way, you know, and who knows, maybe it's just a very good show, but it didn't seem that way. You know, just being very light, even when discussing very serious, difficult subjects. So this is uh, a really good time, this class, to test our allegiance, to really question our allegiance to aversion, to fear. Right? Even fear isn't to be trusted. I mean, it's totally natural that we'll be afraid and anxious at times. But to really look at when we're intentionally feeding the anxiety and the fear because we feel like, what, that it's functional? that it's helping ourselves or helping others. So to really question that, like, is there another attitude I can have in this moment with these conditions, with these thoughts or whatever's going on in the moment? Is there another attitude that would be more helpful for me and for the world right now? To really press ourselves or challenge ourselves that, well, maybe there's another attitude. And remember, but the world is so bad, or this person is so... But we have to really understand it matters what we're paying attention to. So like when you bring a particular politician to mind or a particular colleague at work that's really pushing your buttons, when you bring that person to mind, you can pay attention, and it could even be, it doesn't even need to be another person, it could be the pain in your knee or the disease that you have, or the fact that you're getting older, right? So whatever the irritant is, politician, colleague at work, physical ailment, you have, there's always a choice which you pay attention to. You could pay attention to the pain, or you could pay attention to the heart that cares about the pain. You could care about, you could pay attention to how uh, unskillful the person is, or you could pay attention to how much you care about the suffering that people are experiencing. It really matters. And that, and that caring is a beautiful thing. The wishing well for somebody, that's a, a joy, you know, just to put the word to it, it's a joyful or beautiful emotion to care about somebody, to care about ourselves, to wish well. There's nothing heavy like when we think about the swirl the world is in right now with you know, the sort of fear of immigration and the fear of global climate change and the fear around difference and economic fears around will I have enough, will I be able to take care of myself and my family. We can, the mind, you know, and you can even imagine through evolution how, to a certain degree, it's a useful strategy to, to be fixated on the immediate danger. But with our mind, 
we're never free of immediate danger because I can always imagine, you know, my retirement fund disappearing or, you know, this happening or that happening or getting cancer or loss of something in my life. So that mind that's fixated on danger, it can constantly be activated. And we feel like we're doing the right thing by worrying, by obsessing. So this isn't, it isn't even so much about taking the attention away from problems as it is like when we let the problem in, we learn that it's okay to let it in because there's this alchemy where I hold it with this beautiful wish. May this heart be at ease with this uncertainty. No, I'm not distancing. I'm not sort of pretending that it isn't as bad as it is. I'm not being sentimental. I'm just relating to it with compassion. Same with the people around us that are suffering. It can feel like their suffering is going to be contagious. I've got to sort of protect myself. And the way we actually protect ourselves is with a generous heart. I don't know what's going to happen to you. But I do know that I care about you and I wish well. Even though it doesn't look good, I still wish well. And this is what I mentioned earlier. Like when we have a sense of unconditioned happiness, then we can hold that beacon that real happiness isn't a function of whether you're going to live for another 20 years or you're going to be dying this week or you're living with you know, economic oppression, racial oppression, or whatever. Because when the more we understand the nature of the path, then we can envision, in the same way we have to, and we do envision in our own heart, or sense in our own heart, the heart that's not attached, the heart that's not afraid, we can see that in other people too. We can wish that for that person. May you be unafraid with the swirl in your own life, with the joys and sorrows, however that plays out for you. May you be at ease. May you find a wisdom and a love so deep, so grounded, that it's unshakable no matter how your life unfolds. Can't we sense that and wish that for others in the same way that we Isn't that what we wish for ourselves? Because what's sentimental is to wish for myself, may I have only sunny days. May my partner treat me just the way I want her to treat me. May my cat not scratch on the things I like. (laughs) You know, like that's weird to sort of somehow be putting that out on the world. That and then I'll be happy. But when we say, and, and we really feel it, so it's good to practice a different phrase like, may this heart be unshakable with the joys and sorrows that show up. May this heart find a way to be close, to be intimate, no matter what comes and goes in my life. May I relate with the deepest wisdom and love in every moment. I mean, these are things that we can really feel the resonance 
and the, the kind of um, safety or protection. So, and that wish itself is uh, an enlivened state, to have that wish for ourselves or for others or for all beings. That's kind of an empowerment. So the question is, why don't we live with that attitude of mind all day long? Like, why wouldn't we be continuously cultivating that attitude as we're connecting with other people? May the deepest wisdom and love protect us. Even for somebody that you're feeling a lot of distrust for, like going back to the politician or for somebody you work with, can't we have that wish for them? He says, uh, Venerable Analio says in that first chapter, one needs to steer clear of sadness. This is not easy since what causes the arising of compassion can naturally lead to being afflicted uh, oneself by sadness. Therefore, it is important to monitor closely one's own response to the affliction of others. This should ideally proceed from the opening of the heart that is genuinely receptive to the pain and suffering of others to the positive mental condition of being filled with the wish for others to be free from affliction and suffering. And then the Maybe I'll make this the last point and then open it up for discussion. <clears throat> but it's good to, you know, just as a ongoing seven-week contemplation on compassion and this attitude of love and compassion and, and keeping it in mind as often, keep returning to it, finding the skillful ways to keep it in mind. You'll find some ways that don't work so well, other ways that do work, so, work well for you. And, uh, you know, as we're sort of navigating that space, then we want to see everything we do in the context of supporting that attitude. So like all the little and big places where you're practicing restraint in your life, you're holding back, you decided, I'm not going to say that to this person. I think I'm just going to feel what I feel. I could complain, but I'm not going to complain. But you see that in the context of compassion because I care about this heart, because I care about your heart, I'm acting in this way. When we sit, we see it as an act of compassion for ourselves and for the whole world. We don't see it as like a selfish thing. When we feed ourselves, even when you do something that you might consider indulging yourself, you go see a movie or something like that, can you put it in the context of compassion? And then if you can't creatively see everything you do, everything you think, everything you say in the context of love and compassion, then maybe you shouldn't do it, right? But probably a lot of what you're going to do in the next seven weeks, you can feel, see in terms of love and compassion. Like it's an expression, it's a natural, it can be understood as a natural expression of love. So like in terms of our spiritual life, our ethical work to commit to non-harming, 
to using our speech wisely, to really see that as this generosity of compassion for ourselves and for others. Like it's a gift to ourselves and others to be really attentive to how we might be harming, how we might be unskillful in the world. So again, it's it has a joyful, enlivening, expansive quality to it. It's not like a heavy trip. Same with our sit in the morning. And then every time during our 30-minute or hour-long sit that we come back to the present moment, to see that as a generous, compassionate, beautiful, enlivening act. So again, it's really about attitude. It's not about like being different for seven weeks. I'm going to have to be good for seven weeks now. Oh, my God. But then it will be over and I can go back (laughs) to being bad. But to really start to hold, like, that's the attitude through which we understand our life. That's the attitude that organizes our motivations, the intentions to speak, to think, to do. So we become walking, talking, moving, you know, love or compassion. So let's take some time. We have 15 minutes left. It would be nice to hear your own reflections about the sit and the instructions. And just so you know, um, this is being recorded, so it will get up online in a week or so. But the link I sent in the email will bring you to the um, previous course on loving kindness and compassion and there's some nice guided meditations there and many really good articles and other guided meditations or you can just go to dharmacy.org hopefully most of you know that website all of the people who teach at um, IMS and Spirit Rock all of their Dharma talks are up there so you can just search for guided meditations and you'll see there's a real variety of ways now this class we're going to emphasize less of the style of loving-kindness and compassion practice you find in the Visuddhimagga, which is a text uh, written about 800 years after the time of the Buddha by Buddha Gosa, this well-known Buddhist monk. Um, And more the style the Buddha taught um, in the early uh, discourses, where it's more of an object-less, so you're, you're meditating on this expansive attitude as opposed to love for a particular person. But feel free to bring particular people to mind if you need that as a bridge or as a way of accessing that expansive feeling of love. So really be willing to be creative. So first, let's just see what people want to share or questions you have about the talk or about the sit. What comes to mind? Yeah, you want to start us off, Haya? All the way in the back. Yeah, I found it really interesting as I'm sitting here and realizing, you know, and thinking about what we're studying and how is it that I somehow forgot some of, you know, what I've been doing. I mean, I remember in some of my, you know, in my meta practice and whatever and um, and talking about the love I have even for the folks in ISIS, that my heart goes out to them. And then here I am forgetting to put my heart out to our president, you know, and realizing that um, though I don't necessarily agree with everything, but that my heart is is getting tight by not 
putting that compassion out. So I just wanted to share how easy it is to forget, you know, where it, you know, where I need to be. And I'm like, oh, thanks for putting that out because it's brought me back to, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what the heart needs. And this is what that point, I, I don't think I made it clearly enough, but it's really all or none. It's like yeah. either everybody's included or we're dealing, we're still in the world of aversion and fear. Yeah, thanks, Hayar. Yeah, please, Chris. Thank you. Is this on? Is it on? I think so, but you have to aim it right at your okay. mouth like this. Um, I actually had some trouble during the sit I, um, in terms of the feeling of compassion, and I think some of it is I'm just anticipating a trip to deal with a difficult person. And what I found incredibly helpful, and I thought of it just now with your comment on Trump, that I hadn't really had in my lexicon, is I'll say Trump instead of my sister. <laughs> um, but that was, sorry, I hold that in compassion too. Um, was the concept that I maybe, it, during this sit, I could hold little in compassion but when you said, can I hold this interaction in compassion? Can I hold this feeling of not being able to touch the feeling of compassion? Can I feel, have that in compassion? Can, if I can't generate a feeling of compassion for Trump, can I hold my relationship with Trump in a sense of compassion? Yeah. Or my and that was fear. just extreme, yeah. or my fear. Or, mm-hmm. That was just very, very helpful for me because I don't always have a feeling of compassion, nor do I think it should be forced but overall I do have a strong strong desire to be able to hold those interactions in compassion and that's why it's really important to keep reminding yourself and you might want to do it at the beginning of every set that what I'm cultivating is not love for myself or love for a person I'm cultivating an attitude and what the attitude is aware of or relating to in any moment can be whatever it is. So that attitude of love or that attitude of compassion, that's what we're trying to sustain. That's the meditation object we're trying to sustain. Not love for a particular person or love for herself. So it doesn't matter what, what that attitude of compassion is compassionate toward. Extremely helpful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Chris. Gabe, I want to go, but I saw you had your hand up, so should I give it to you and you give it back, or should I just go fast? (laughs) What? All right, I'll make it quick. Um, Oh, you can't hear me? So I had a really odd experience meditating last night. I was sitting in my, uh, my, my bedroom, and I heard a loud sound downstairs. I thought somebody was breaking into my house. And I just didn't move. I couldn't move. Like I just was so rooted that I I was like, and you're really not going to check that out? And I was just like, it was like I was beamed there. And I said, oh, I could die, I guess. And I just stayed there. And I I kind of feel like it was a feeling of love. And um, so then today while I was driving, I was I always have this question, well, what is the relationship between sort of the energetic uh rolling of our of our energy centers and the world around us 
because I, I do like to close the world out and go in these places. And I started to feel like the world around us is created out of our hearts. Like our hearts are like, are, are like, like everything we see is emerging from our beings. Although it doesn't look like that, it kind of is. So I don't know. It, I, don't, I don't think you can answer it, but you can no, if you want. No, it sounds right to me. But, I mean, we, we know that, don't we? Because when we have a negative attitude, the world is very much looks a particular way. And when we have a really generous, loving attitude, the world looks differently. So subjectively, we know what you just said is true. We experience different realities depending on what attitude the mind is living through. Yeah. Thanks, Han. And then Spruce after Gabe. I was just uh, reflecting on on this quality of hiri of wholesome regret and um, how it relates to compassion and and just been exploring that and and it's it's just um, I don't really have very articulate thoughts about it but just there's a lot of different components to the experience and partly it's really painful and there's a lot there can be aversion and self-judgment and at the same time just these reflections on compassion and just reflecting as I've been sitting here um, yeah just including that that pain and and then also just yeah and and then even joy like the joy of of wholesome regret like and not so much that it's pleasant but um the joy of not running from that of really owning that so i don't know if it's on topic or not but if you have any thoughts about that yeah no that sounds right to me and this is it has to be experienced to be believed that like instead of calling it wholesome regret, it's sort of really making peace with the humiliation of being an imperfect human being, which could be, a, you know, if related to, this goes back to what Anne, I think, was pointing to. If we have an attitude of taking that regret, humiliation personally, it can really spiral into a kind of a lot of self-hatred and a really, a reality that's really hard to bear, right? Or... It can be like you talked about, where surprisingly there was some joy in the being intimate with the wholesome regret. In realizing that the heart doesn't need to run from it, doesn't need to make the effort to be in denial. It's so exhausting to be in denial, you know, to kind of massage the world so it feels like we're okay, you know, but to know, no, that was wrong. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Spruce is right behind you, a couple rows. Yeah, I wanted to share a really powerful experience I had. I think it was two days ago, because um, I've been in a lot of, uh, I've been having multiple hindrance attacks lately. It's just a lot of difficult stuff bubbling up. And I was driving out to a, 
a friend's house and just having that thought, taking things really personally, how I was feeling, thinking, oh, this is finally it. It's finally got me for sure. And then without really deciding to do it, I started spontaneously just sending metta and compassion to all the cars on the highway, to all the people. And and I started crying, not so much that I couldn't drive, but I mean, it was just like my heart was totally open. And then I just spread it out, I mean, beyond the highway. And, and it was beautiful. But then the other piece of it that I'm noticing, because then the dark moods really have have shifted. But there's that part of the mind going, ah, yes, but they're going to come back again. And are you willing to be with them in friendliness again? And what will be the next? So it was sort of like this came out of a really um, impersonal, just natural expression of the heart. But now there's also the other side, which is kind of preparing for the next hindrance attack. Yeah. But are you willing to be with it with love? I'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because that's the question. And and this is what we, you know, in our, as we finish up now, and we, you know, contemplate uh, our commitment to doing some reflection, some sitting, most days between now and next Monday, to really, you know, one of the things that the advantage of having a sit where conditions are relatively simple, that's the whole point of sitting in a comfortable, upright, still way for a period of time, and then we can really see one thing after another is going to show up, a memory, pain in the body, a pleasant feeling, this or that, a strange sound, in the, a bump in the night or whatever you heard, and, and then the practice is like, is there a way to receive this with love? What would that look like? To say yes to this. Because remember, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, they're just words that sort of point to the heart that's letting things in, letting life in. So there's both clarity, seeing clearly, but also being undefended being receptive, being soft, being willing to be touched, knowing that things come and go. Here's a little passage to take to bed tonight. This is from the suttas. Wherever I go, I am unafraid. Wherever I sleep, I am unalarmed. The nights and days do not burn me. I see nothing in this world that is to be lost. Therefore, my heart dwells in goodness. I'm sorry. Therefore, my heart dwells in goodwill and kindness to all beings until I fall asleep. So remember, I said there's two paths: the wisdom path of seeing the underlying nature of impermanence, impersonal nature, and then there's the path of sustaining this attitude of love. Right? So that's the refuge of the mind, that everything belongs. That's the refuge. So everything else we let go of, being healthy, we're not attached to that. You know, We'll be healthy or we won't be healthy. We'll be healthy until we're not healthy. We'll have this until we don't. But our refuge is in the attitude of love, which allows the mind to let go of everything else. 
because that's sort of the, that's where the basket we're putting all the eggs, right? So you can play with that before you go to bed. <laughs> Next week we'll have small groups for the last half an hour. So wanna, if you like, even take some notes when you have some understanding arise. Learn a little bit about how love, how you sustain it, how you keep it in mind, what gets in the way. Jot down a few notes and then you can bring that and use that in your small group sharing some of, so it will be easier to remember This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.